Hi, and welcome to the Strad podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at Strad. Most string players will get to a point in their career where their faithful instrument has served them to the best of its ability, and the time has come for the player to think about upgrading to a fine instrument. It can be very exciting, the prospect of finding the best instrument, but also daunting. We don't have to mention how expensive fine instruments go for, which understandably means that a lot of these options are out of reach for students or young emerging artists. Violinist Peter Herestal spoke with me about how to go about making the transition from a student instrument to a fine instrument, having worked for Dextra Musica and now serving as Artistic Director of the Anders Spheres Trust, both of which have a collection of fine instruments that are loaned to up-and-coming artists. He speaks about his experience acquiring his Guadagnini violin, other violins he's met along the way, as well as the different options and strategies young artists can take when looking for a fine instrument. Here's Peter. Peter, welcome to the Strad Podcast. It's wonderful to have you here today to talk about your insights and your experiences making the transition playing student instruments to more fine instruments. So a predicament that a lot of budding professionals find themselves in wanting to upgrade their instrument and therefore unlock key aspects of their playing. I'm interested to hear your experiences and your capacity of your roles that you've held with Dextra Musica and also the Anders Spheres Trust in Norway, um, lending out instruments to young musicians. But first of all, tell me about the first fine instrument that you came across in your career and, you know, what instrument do you play now? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me on the podcast. It's very nice to be here. And I, uh, I guess... It always starts with your own experience, I guess, before you, uh, as a teacher especially, and as a part of a trust, uh, try to help others. But so my own in- experience was, I was, I think I was lucky I, I had an instrument from my grandfather, actually two instruments, and uh, one of them was a fine Italian violin. And then as your career moves on after studies and you need to play, I was playing more with with orchestras, for example, than uh, I was looking for a more powerful instrument and uh, had a, was very lucky to have help from a sponsor who helped me buy a, a Rocca violin. Uh, that was my first kind of big soloistic instrument and it made a huge difference. And then of course you get addicted to these things because it makes such a huge difference. So in the end, I, I also bought a Goranini in auction with the same help from the same person that I now play and own. Uh, with my students that I gradually get to know really well, I have the same experience with them that uh, at some point you need to, you feel it, or maybe I feel it also as a teacher that you have to move on. Um, but it's kind of interesting. Uh, the thing we've done uh, in Dextra Musica for the students at the academy is that they offered us to to have a big collection of modern makers. Uh, there was uh, some instruments already when I started working with that, but we got to collect instruments from all over Europe and US for the students to borrow. And that's been a very interesting journey because for me, it was an eye opener with the modern instruments, how amazing quality there is around at the moment, the golden golden age, golden period. Mm-hmm. New golden <laughs> uh, age, yeah. New golden age, yes. <laughs> and uh, first we had some other major European makers making for us or 
we bought something that was already played in, and then later on we also, I, I, or I felt that we should also have some other major U.S. makers. So we had uh, some trips to to the U.S. To, to to, and we did blind tests in a way with colleagues that are equally violin uh, crazy like me and myself, violin freaks that helped me out. So we had. Uh, Interesting, we were buying unknown makers that we really liked or big names in a mix. Mm. And then, of course, we get to follow them through the years uh, with different people playing it. And gradually, as you know, the makers and the students, it's easier to to know how to match a violin and the player, which is a, a tricky but very interesting thing, I think. Yes, that's the key thing is in this modern time, in these modern times, we have communication between the players and the makers, this collaboration that we obviously don't have with old Italian masters as they mm. are long gone. But I guess it, it just means that uh, you're able to sort of listen out, map the journey of the instrument and the player a lot mm. more. It's quite interesting that you mention uh, modern instruments because I think a lot of the time people look at fine instruments and look at old instruments as well, but it's quite often out of reach for young mm. musicians so perhaps they decide to go down the modern route so you know tell me a little bit about how a young artist how do you decide what do you sort of do when you're starting to think about making this transition into acquiring an instrument whether it be an old one or a new one i mean i guess the process is quite similar no matter your budget in a way you have to just kind of map the things that you miss maybe in the one instrument that you already play at the same time, my experience is, and that's the same with both, I guess, that if you're young and uh, or old uh, also actually, but play the same instrument for a long time and don't have much experience, maybe you also need some experience to begin with, to go around and try things, maybe try your friends' instruments and bows and uh, getting to know other colors because we tend to actually pick things that we find familiar also. And sometimes that's that could be a good or a bad thing. Uh, if you find something totally different, you might miss what you had in your other instruments. In general, I would say you need a little time. But of course, I experienced the opposite. I just had a student with a with a sponsor who went straight to try uh, some very nice older instruments. I couldn't be there, so she sent me uh, iMessage uh, videos from the instruments, and I. I, I, I said, don't tell me which one you like. She said it was one that she really liked out of 20 videos, I think it was. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I just said, I think it's that one. And it was the same so that she liked. And, that was, and she went straight for this instrument and it's now back and she played it or even with orchestra. And uh, it is the perfect instrument. But that was the first time she ever mm. tried anything. But sometimes you're lucky and sometimes it takes time. And uh, there's yeah. a lot of violins out there, you know, <laughs> the world is <laughs> yes. full of violins. So, yeah. Absolutely. How, how do you find the right one? And I think that is a tricky thing because I've spoken to many people who've gone on to play a fine instrument. And for example, they get their hands on a Strad or a Guarneri and the first mm. time they play it, it's not necessarily what they expected. Not always in the best way. You know, it takes a bit mm. of time to get used to. So, I mean... How long would you typically advise a student to spend with an instrument before they know? I know it's it's different with the example that you gave and mm -hmm. you straight away. But for other people that are faced with more of a choice, 
perhaps? You know, how long realistically can you spend with an instrument? And, you know, what sort of things should you listen out for when, of course, your ears are tuned to very familiar things? How do you sort of open up your hearing and your perception to things that you might not even know about necessarily? Oh, that's uh, many and, and good questions. I mean, uh, first of all, I guess you need to also record yourself while you try because uh, one thing that even I feel, especially maybe with a modern instrument that is brand new, for example, that you need to record it on hold. And uh, it's always interesting if other people play it, but in the end, it's your sound that you need to recognize in the mm-hmm. instrument. And that's... Um, uh, or people you trust. I mean, I had an experience when I found my Goranini in a trial with many other instruments that everybody in the room thought I should take another instrument. <laughs> uh, but I, I had such a strong gut feeling. Uh, I had been looking for so long, at least a year or two. Mm-hmm. So I, I knew straight away that it was the one and I just needed to practice it a little bit. And then the day after everybody understood. So I think also the physical uh, feeling of playing an instrument is very important. So if you feel that your vibrato is not working on a violin, you should practice it for a while. But if you have some experience, which you only get from trying a lot, uh, then you will gradually recognize the things that are important for you, I think. Mm. And many people speak about the wolf tones, for example. I don't want something with a wolf tone, but the best shreds has huge wolf tones so you can't escape wolf tones i feel no. <laughs> like wolf tones are everywhere and they and they pop up on notes that you really don't want them but yeah especially on the cello are. right <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> on e's and, and f sharps uh, for me yeah that's that's really interesting because i think at the end of the day you have to live with this instrument you have to play with this instrument mm. and it's going to be very different hearing it under your ear compared with someone listening to it on the other side of a room or mm. the other side of, of a hall but I think, first of all, you need to feel comfortable with your own playing mm. first, right? Before you can convey outwards. I think that's very important. But also, of course, there is routines that you can copy. For example, in Dextra Musica, we have had, I've been part of the, the last few years where we have had trials where a very experienced player would play on many instruments and we would we would not know who is selling it or even sometimes who who's the maker and we would just choose from the from the sound basically mm. but then that of course is when you buy for a trust and of course if you're buying yourself or for a particular person then you you personalize it more uh, of course and it needs to suit you but uh, just judging quality and, of course, condition, which uh, is another topic, of course, is very important, and certification and these things mm. put together. But um, I guess it's also quite normal to want to trade uh, up or down, you know, or just move on. Uh, I think I did many times, and many people do. And uh, so it's also important when I, for my students then to to know that it's possible to move on so you can... You have something that you get your money back if you need to move on, for example, because that can be tricky if uh, you're lucky with the price, but if you can never resell it or trade it back, uh, it's tricky. Yes, yes. Because, I mean, because violins are just so expensive. I I have some colleagues that play guitars, for example, Hmm. and I know it is expensive to have guitars, but not nearly as expensive as violins or or cellos, the string instruments but I I do feel like with with guitarists there's this 
affliction that they call gear acquisition syndrome guess <laughs> yes <laughs> you know I have because that. I have that. <laughs> you have that as well <laughs> um, it, but it's probably less likely to have violin acquisition syndrome because <laughs> because of that sheer cost you know so mm, you do yeah. have to think a little bit about the resale value Un- unless you are very lucky and you can just accumulate a whole bunch of fine instruments i wish i was that lucky and could just buy a collection because i fall in love all the time also, just listening to my students' instruments or my colleagues' instruments, I think it's very interesting to to see how, as, as we said earlier on, that uh, it can really change somebody's playing. For me, for example, at the time when I, the, there was a Montagnana actually, compared to the Guaranini, and it was huge sounding, it was, but I felt hmm, it was too far from my personality, so then it kind of didn't work. So. Yeah. Even if I pro- maybe sounded better, I thought in the end I can express myself better on the, the one I bought. And I, and then you grow and learn to play these instruments. And as you said, strads and goraninis can be tricky to play. And many people also went for the names and regretted that afterwards. So that's another thing. I mean, Stradivarius are complex and they are different qualities too. So I haven't tried that, but I'm always thinking when we have these trials to to buy instruments and we don't know anything about what we're hearing. I always wonder how it would be if you put one of the top modern makers in there, not saying anything to us or to the ones listening and then just what, what would happen? Yeah. I think as a player, I would, well, I can't say a hundred percent, but I think I, most of the time I would feel the difference as a player. And maybe that's the main difference for me when you have the opportunity to play Goranini, uh, like I did for so many years, then you feel the the ring. Uh, it sounds banal of the centuries, but it's kind of the overtones. I'm actually trying to learn more about myself, about playing modern instruments at the moment, and I, I, it's quite tricky for me. So I'm coming from a, an old instrument, but listening to it or listening to other people play it or recording myself, I'm amazed about how good it sounds, and I think. So for young players, uh, these tools or collaborations, as you said, with a living maker, you can you can see the maker, you can adjust it, maybe even swap it for another one later on, and you know. In a way, it's it's a little bit like a blank slate, isn't it? Because it it doesn't have that historical legacy um, behind it. It's it's this brand new instrument, and mm. so in a way, if you're a developing younger player with a new instrument your sound is developing at the same time as the instrument mm. is developing. So you are going on this interesting journey together. Yeah, you're, you're part of shaping the instrument, actually. That's true. And I, I've seen it with the modern collection that we have in the school, that uh, some instruments are immediately working. Some of them just sound amazing after a while, uh, which is, of course, hard work for the first person. <laughs> but then yeah. if you are the fifth one, uh, or and maybe especially if... if very good players played it before you. It also helps. And uh, I've seen that a lot of the students, uh, if we made a good match after the auditions and matched the right instrument with the right person, that they very often want to commission this maker. So I think it's a nice way of also for the for the young and, and older makers to, to work with the young. And now there was just an anniversary of the Dextra Musica collection now, uh, earlier yes. this spring. Right. Big, uh, big uh, article about that in the latest yeah, issue, yeah. I think. Yeah, our colleague Christian was there with, with bells on. <laughs> some of the makers came back and saw their instruments and adjusted them and uh, met mm. some of the students, and that's really nice. 
And of course, uh, some of these makers are also very good at adjusting uh, themselves and not to mention the varnish retouch. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. a bit of a homecoming, isn't it? It's a, mm. like a, a reunion between maker and instrument. And I think that's that's really special because that's obviously something that you don't experience with the old instruments. We can study and we can copy as much as possible, but with a new instrument, you know, you have that relationship that you can foster. And I think that's mm. that can be very, very rewarding. It's very rewarding. Um, yeah, that's well, it's been really fascinating hearing your insights. I would say that, like, you know, one of the main takeaways I'm getting from this is that, you know, if you're looking at making this transition from a student instrument to a fine instrument is to try things out as much as possible, which just sounds like the most fun shopping trip ever. <laughs> yes. yes, and I, I guess uh, I, you you mentioned... Johan Dalmes new instrument from the Anisveos Trust that was just he just tried it uh, a while back and really fell for it and he already had a nice instrument from the Trust mm. but then uh, after playing the one instrument for many years you 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 had the chance to try this one and it just transforms your playing a little bit he's very excited and also for us Norwegians it's a violin from from Camilla Vix, which who was a big star in Norway and uh, and the U.S. and worldwide, and she she's the teacher of s- several generations of Norwegian players. So, and I was just thinking about what you said with uh, shaping the instruments because I, he was saying to me that he even feels her sound in the instrument. So when you listen to the recordings with the violin and then you play it, you yeah. you recognize the sound and uh, and of course that's very inspiring. That's really cool. Yeah, it's, it's almost like she's speaking to you from within the instrument, and yes, and and it's connecting. It's connecting you with the past, the legacy. Mm. Of, mm. Yeah, that's super cool. Peter, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much. That was Peter Harristal. You can check out the May 2023 issue of The Strad, where our managing editor, Christian Lloyd, reports back from the Master to Master Symposium, held by Dextra Musica, in a postcard from Oslo. Plus, you can find out more about Johan Dahlman's new Stradivari acquisition on our website, a link to which I'll put in the show notes. Speaking of our website, don't forget to check out thestrad.com, where you'll find the latest news, articles, and reviews on all things to do with string playing. And if you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. We've got 50% off an online subscription for students. And if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days. Start reading right away with no strings attached. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or rating. It will help other people discover this podcast. Thank you for listening and tune in again soon for another episode. Take good care. Bye.